do want you guys to look ahead and put it on your calendar. Two weeks from tonight, we're going to be at, at uh, Conway and Jan's house. And about this time next, in two weeks, we, we should be well into eating um, all of the food that everybody has brought. And I think the schedule is, we're saying from like four to six, we're just going to have games, maybe horseshoes or volleyball or hula hoop. I don't know. I came in the other day and there was a hula hoop in here. And I thought, man, I remember when I was a kid I had a hula hoop. And they used to be pretty good at hula hoop. But you know what? I can't hula hoop anymore. <laughs> I did. I tried. There was nobody in here. It was just me and God. And uh, God assured me he got a big laugh out of me trying to hula hoop. I was not able to do it. But uh, so... Uh, we'll, we'll even bring a hula hoop for you brave ones who might want to try that and see. So two weeks, be sure and put it on your calendar, spread the word, and we want to have a, a really awesome fellowship in uh, getting ready to kick off life groups coming up in September. Amen? All right, tonight we're going to talk about something really, really important. We're going to talk about biblical community. And uh, I really... I really sense that God is doing something in the body of Christ, in His church. Um, I really feel like God is causing a shift to take place fundamentally in the way that we look at, in the way that we approach uh, what it means to be the church and what church is. You know, church for too long... I would say in the last four or five decades especially, church has become what we do instead of who we are. And church is not about what we do. Church is about who we are. And uh, we've become very good at doing churchy things. We've become very proficient at creating churchy programs and, and churchy um, ways to uh, attract people or churchy ways to entertain people or churchy ways to hold people's attention. And we, we've defined all of those as church. And this is what we do in church. This is what we do at church. This is what we do as the church. It's what the church is supposed to do. And the the reality is, as I've said many, many times, and I will remind you, continue to remind you many, many times in the future, church is not a thing, it's not an institution, it's who we are. We are the family of God. We are the people of God. And the church is the people of God, irregardless of what label they wear, what building they meet in, whether it's big, small, it doesn't matter. And so... This, this topic that I'm going to start talking to you about tonight called Biblical Community. And we already really kind of started talking about it. If you remember, uh, two weeks ago, I did a message about our philosophy of ministry. And we said that there is a philosophy of ministry that, that much of the church functions under. And we need to really take an honest look at what our philosophy of ministry is. And I know this isn't a real glamorous or maybe a real romantic subject or a real 
uh, just a real exciting subject for you. But see, here's part of the problem again. We come and we want to be glamorized and we want to be excited. And we want the church to excite us. And you should be excited because you are the church. You shouldn't come to church to get excited. Well, let's see if the preacher can fire me up today. Why do you want the preacher to fire you up? I mean, shouldn't the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead that dwells on the inside of you, if that can't fire you up, who in the world thinks that I can fire you up? How could a man fire you up if the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you can't get you excited? You see how our mindsets and our attitudes have totally twisted us and caused us to look at things in a way that they were never intended to be looked at. And, and this is the fundamental shift that I'm talking to you about that I believe God is doing in the church today. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Now he's talking, remember the Bible is written not to us, but it's written for us. And the writer of Hebrews was writing to a specific group of people. And the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that, that all things that can be shaken will be shaken. And he was writing to this group of believers, Hebrew believers, and the destruction of Jerusalem was fast approaching. And they recognized, and, and it even spoke of that which is passing away. And that which was passing away was this whole religious system that the people of Israel had built their lives upon. And they had pinned everything on this man-made religious system. There was something God gave them. There was something that was inspired by God, given to them by God for a specific purpose. And that was to point them to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came... He was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended to the Father, but you had these guys that were still looking at this earthly man-made system in spite of the fact that Jesus had already come. And the writer of Hebrews says, I'm telling you what, guys, there's a shaking that's taking place. And all heaven and earth is going to be shaken, and everything that can be shook loose is going to be shook loose. What you guys are standing on and holding on to, it's fixing to be shook loose and done away with. Now, remember, scripture not all Scripture is written to us, but it's written for us. And see, today, 2,000 years later, if we find ourselves pinning our hopes on a man-made religious system that we call the church with doctrines and traditions that men have made instead of God has inspired, if we're pinning our hopes on those things, then you know what? God will make sure that those things are shaken loose. And He will allow a shaking to take place to, to just locate us so that we can see for ourselves that maybe Maybe what we've put our hope in, maybe what we've defined as one thing, maybe we've been wrong about that. And I'm excited because this is what I see God doing right now. God is allowing some things to be shaken. And there are a lot of things coming loose. 
there are a lot of things that are just crumbling and coming to nothing. And, and in, the, in the face of that, there are a lot of people who are being devastated right now because what they pin their hopes on, what they put their trust in, they're finding out that, that it's not working. What we've invested so much money in and so much effort into, it's not working anymore. Why is everybody leaving the church? How come the church isn't growing? How come this isn't working anymore? Well, let's get everybody together and come up with another good idea. Honey, I'm going I'm to tell you right now, the day of good ideas is done with. We don't need any more good ideas. We need God. And we need the design and the pattern and the thing that God birthed. Not what man has birthed, but what God has birthed. And God is saying, I love you enough to let everything that you've made come to nothing so that you are left with what I have established. And so this topic of biblical community is so absolutely important. And you know why it's important? Because the, the concept of biblical community, it totally and completely takes us away from a self-centered gospel, a self-centered ministry philosophy, a self-centered, anything self-centered, it, it takes you away from that. It destroys the self-centeredness of our messages. It destroys the self-centeredness of our doctrines and our traditions. Because God says it's not about self, it's about me. It's not about the, it's not about the one individual, it's about the whole body. There's only one individual that it's about, it is the man, Christ Jesus. It's not about me as an individual, it's about the man, Christ Jesus. I'm just a part of the whole. And so, this, this truth, this concept that we call biblical community is so very important because it helps us to put in proper perspective not just what God is doing, but what God designed before time began. There is a design and a pattern that God established, and it's based on who He is. It's not even based on what works well. It's based on who God is. And so let's talk about this. The God that we worship is a God that has eternally existed in community. Did you realize that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelled in perfect unity, perfect love, and perfect joy before and throughout time. Have you ever thought of God as a community? Some people, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, God created man because he wanted someone to fellowship with. God didn't create man because he needed someone to fellowship with. If that's true, you know what that's saying about God? God was lonely. And I promise you, God wasn't lonely. God has lived in community together with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time ever began, before there was ever a created order, before there was anything God existed eternally in community. God wasn't lonely. That's not why he created man. It wasn't out of loneliness. You and I might get lonely, but God doesn't get lonely. I don't believe that. God created man for his glory. Not because he was lonely. He created man for his glory. 
And he created man in a way and designed man in a way that would bring glory to his name. That would maximize the glory of God. And so God, the God we worship, is a God that has eternally existed in community. Genesis 1.26. God said, let us. You ever wonder who the us is? The Jews say it's the angels. Well, the angels didn't make anything. God made the angels. But God said, let us. Make man in our image. We're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The us in the hour. It is the Father. It is the Son. It is the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God hovered over. Right there, you see the Trinity right there. The scripture clearly tells us that God created all things through who? Through Jesus Christ. But yet it was the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness. Yet it was God. That's right. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there at creation. And God allowed Jesus Christ, the Son, to create everything. John 1, 1 through verse 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus was with the Father in the beginning, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. He was, Jesus was, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And he didn't just mean we get along well together. That's not what he meant. He literally meant we are one. That's why he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can't separate Jesus from the Father because they are one. They are a unity. They are a community. John 14, 11. Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Now, are we going to believe what the Word of God says? I hope you will. John 17, 5. In, in, in Jesus' prayer before He goes to the cross... He says this, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. What happened to that glory that Jesus had? Well, Philippians says that he humbled himself to the point of death. He became a man and humbled himself, became obedient, taking on the form of human flesh, taking on humanity. Though it was perfect humanity, it was still humanity. And he shed the glory of heaven to put on humanity so that he could what? Come to a point of obedience, even the obedience of death on a cross to redeem you and I. God has eternally existed in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
we, we are brought into community with God. How? In Christ. You're not brought into community with God because you behave well. Because you can't behave well enough. God doesn't wait to see whether you're going to do really good before he invites you into the community or not. Because he already knows how well you're going to do. You're going to fail. Well, pastor, you don't know me. I know you're human. And that's all I need to know. You may be a Pharisee today. Keeping the law perfectly. But you've still failed because you're living in human flesh. And the Bible says no flesh will glory in his presence. No corruption will inherit incorruption. No mortality will inherit immortality. Behave as well as you want. You're still in the flesh and you are unacceptable to God. And if you're not born again, you don't have a chance. You don't have a prayer unless you're born again. How are we brought into community with God? We're brought in in Christ. Why? Because when I come into Christ, my old man is crucified. When I come into Christ, this flesh is put under. When I come into Christ, my unrighteousness now becomes the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 When I come into Christ, my unholiness has now become His holiness. I am holy because he is holy. Not because I'm holy, but because he is holy. Because I now live in the Holy One. I'm righteous, why? Because I now live in the righteous one. And it's not that I live, because I don't live. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. The holy, the righteous, the perfect one who lives in me. So why am I righteous? Because because he is righteous. How am I brought into community? Because I'm in the righteous and the perfect and the holy one. Because my nature has been changed from that of sin and death into righteousness and life in Christ Jesus. And so this triune God created humanity as the chief of his creation for the display of this relationship. God didn't create man because he was lonely. God Created man to bring glory to himself because he wanted to display and demonstrate the perfection of unity and community that existed in the Godhead. And he gave man the privilege to be brought into that community. And when we're brought into that community, it's no longer about me or about you. It's about him. Because he is the only reason I can exist in this community. He is the only reason I can function in this community. He is the only reason I'm invited in. It's by his grace that he has allowed me to come in. And nothing else. John 14, 17. Jesus said, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. How did, why did Jesus say that to them? You know him, why? Because they knew Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know the spirit of truth. If you know the spirit of truth, you know Jesus. Why did they know him? Because they saw Jesus. For he dwells with you 
and will be in you. Now he said he dwells with you. Remember when Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan? He went under that water. John brought him up and there was the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It was a sign that he was the Messiah. And God filled him with the Spirit right there at the baptism at the Jordan River. And so now, guess what? Everywhere Jesus went, guess who went with him? The Spirit did. So when Jesus was with his disciples, guess who was with his disciples? The Spirit was. He says, he's with you right now, but he will be in you. What did that speak of? He said, guys, I'm going away. I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to be buried, but don't despair. I'm going to be raised. And when I ascend to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. I'm going to send the Spirit. He won't just be with you then. He will be in you. He'll be in you. And when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us, guess where we are brought into? We are brought into community with God because we are in Christ. John 14, 20, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Do you see the community there? Do you see the unity there? In that day, in what day? In the day that I live? In the day of my resurrection, when you see me alive, you will know that I am in my Father. And you will know that you are in me and that I am in you. He said, we'll be in community together. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, there's a plurality there, we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will come to him and make our home with him. What? If you love me. He said, if you love me. Anyone who loves me and will keep my word, what's the word of the Lord? What's the will of the Father? That anyone who sees the Son would believe in him and therefore have everlasting life. That's the will of God. That's the word of God. That you would love God. And out of that love, and out of that trusting by His grace, you'll be born again. And we will come and we'll make our home. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Him, in Christ, dwells how much of the fullness? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete. Where? In Him. You're complete in Him. If you're in Him, what are you lacking? Now that's easy for us to say, isn't it? You can say that, but do you know that? We say that because that's what the scripture says. But I'm asking you tonight, do you know it by revelation of the Spirit of God? Because if you, if you don't know that by revelation of the Spirit, then you will be deceived into thinking that you are not complete and there is something lacking. And if the enemy can get you to believe that you are not complete and there is something lacking, he will be able to affect your concept, your view of, your sense of community. You will begin to question whether you are really 
in community with God or not. If you are in any way sensing you're not, in com- you're not complete in Him, you know what's going to happen? Some brother, some sister is going to say something or do something, and out of your insecurity, out of not feeling complete, you're going to take an offense you shouldn't take. Because if you knew that you were truly complete in Him, how can you be offended by anyone or anything? How can someone make you feel less valuable if you know you are complete in Him? If you know you are complete in Him, if anything, you should have compassion for that person who obviously does not know they are complete in Him. Otherwise, they wouldn't be bringing an offense. Or they wouldn't be taking an offense. Do you see how that not knowing our completeness in Him, how that becomes a way for the enemy to come in and begin to bring division in the body? Or bring division and make you think somehow there is a divide between you and God? That's what the enemy wants to do. Listen, if you're in Christ, He can never separate you from the love of God, but He can make you think you're separated from the love of God. And if you believe you're separated from the love of God, He's just rendered you ineffective. Whether whether you're really separated or not, you're not separated from the love of God. But if He can make you believe you are, it will absolutely have an impact on how you live your life here. How you interact with other people. And this is exactly what He wants to do. This is why this scripture is so important. That we need to understand that in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead, is the fullness of the glory of God. And in Christ, we are complete. We are complete in Him. There should be nothing anyone can say or do that will make me feel incomplete. Because my my completeness is not in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. My completeness is not how people accept me or love me or treat me here on this earth. It is in the love of God that is unconditional and eternal. It's in the acceptance that I have in God through Jesus Christ. And nothing can make me unacceptable to God if I am in Christ. Even though I may be unacceptable to some people. And I must come to recognize that that lack of acceptance is nothing more than someone who has a lack of knowledge. They themselves lack the knowledge of their completeness in Christ. Therefore, they see me as incomplete. See, here's what I believe about myself. When I look at another person and see something incomplete about them, all it does, all I'm doing is looking in a mirror it's really the incompleteness in me. It's my sense of incompleteness that caused me to see an incompleteness in them. Because if I looked at them the way Christ looked at them, if I looked at them the way God looked at them, I would not see them as incomplete. They may be incomplete in the flesh, aren't we all? They might be incomplete in the human nature, aren't we all? But I would not see them as incomplete in Christ. I would see them exactly the way God sees them. 
And how does God see us? 1 John 4 says, as he is, so are we in this world. That's how God sees me. He sees me as he sees his son. With all my flaws and all my imperfections of this flesh and of this, this natural body and this natural mind that I'm struggling to conform to the mind of Christ and the image of Christ, and all of that flawed incompleteness of this flesh, God looks beyond that and he sees that I am complete in his son. And see, if I don't begin to see people that way, if I don't begin to see people who are in Christ the same way God sees them, then there will always be division in the community. There will always be a disruption of unity in the community. Because I'm always going to be one who will be prone to take offense or to give offense. Because I'm looking at things the wrong way. I'm viewing things the wrong way. So we're brought into community with, with God. Where? In Christ. And we're to live in community with one another. See, there's a lot of people that don't have a problem being in community with God. There's a lot of people that don't have a problem being in unity with God. But they have a big problem living in community with other people and being in unity with other people. Now, here's where I'm going to be hard on you. I'm going to step on my own toes first, okay? But we got to speak the truth in love, don't we? I mean, what did John say? The, the, the letter of 1 John is, if you've never read and just really studied 1 John, you ought to do that. I would really highly recommend it. If you're a person who is struggling with offense, of taking offense or giving offense, struggling with, you need to read 1 John. Don't read it from a point of condemnation. Listen, the scripture was not given to us to condemn us. Please understand this. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. God did not give you his word to condemn you. It may convict you. But it's not to condemn you. And if you feel conviction, then let God deal with you. But don't take condemnation. But let the Spirit of God use conviction to do a work in you. Because that conviction means that may, there may be a a point in your life, a place in your life, something in your life that, that, that you need to let go of and let God deal with. And, and in God dealing with it, he's not dealing with it so that you can feel more condemned. Here's where you, you just have to trust him. But 1 John talks about love. Well, it's easy to say we love God, John says. But hey, what about loving your brother? I hear you talking about how much you love God, but I see that you're having a problem loving your brother. How can you love God and hate your brother? It's a real practical question. Say, well, I don't hate my brother. I just got issues with him. Well, that's just a kind of a politically correct way of saying that you probably, you probably need to get some things right between you and that brother. And I know that's easier said than done.
But see, if we're going to be serious about living in community, that doesn't mean we, we have to agree on everything. I believe we can agree to disagree on, on a lot of things and still live in community. I, I don't have to agree with you to love you. I can disagree about some things, maybe even many things, but I can still love you. But we have to be in agreement about Jesus. We have to be in agreement about God's love for us and the fact that if we love God, that we've got to love one another, even if we do disagree. We're to live in community with one another, and we see that in the beginning, God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. So God created a companion for man who was like him. You notice how God created man? Do you know why no other created being was suitable for Adam? Because no other created being was created in the image and the likeness of God. There's not any other animal, there's not, not chimpanzees, not orangutans, I don't care what the scientists say today, I don't care how, what statistically or percentage-wise close their DNA is to the human, that monkey is not created in the image and the likeness of God. I don't care how close his DNA is to human DNA. There was only one being created in the likeness of God, it was humans, it was man. And God created another man. He called her woman. And Adam named her Eve. Because that was the only one that was found to be the counterpart to man. That's what the word meat, a help meat for man. That word meat in the Hebrew means a counterpoint, a counterpart. It means part opposite. It means the image that matches perfectly. There was nothing else that matched man perfectly until God created woman. And God did that because God wanted man and woman to come together and become what? The two would no longer be separate, but the two would become how many? One, you know what that is? That's unity. You know what that is? That's community. So we see from the very beginning, God's design was for community. In the Gospels, we read that among the final words of Jesus in John 17, 21 through 22, this whole last part of this prayer, there were three parts of Jesus' prayer. He prayed for himself, that he would be glorified, And bring glory to the Father. He prayed for his disciples. And he prayed for those who would believe through the words of his disciples. Guess who that is? That's us. John 17, 20. I pray not only for those, but I pray for those who will believe through their words. That's us. And here's what he says. He says, I want the unity of this people to reflect the unity that's in the Godhead. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them. 
that they may be one just as we are one. Now let me ask you a question, church. Do you see that kind of unity and community in the church today? Forget the world. You ain't going to have it in the world. Everybody wants peace in the world. World peace. You know what? I like the bumper sticker that says world peace. Because you, you might as well just go for world peace because you're never going to get world peace. There's not ever meant to be peace in the world. Did you know that? The world was never meant to have peace. Because the world is not our peace. Jesus is our peace. There is peace only in one place. And that is not in the world. It is in Christ. That's it. So quit trying to get peace in the world. We're never going to have world peace. It's a futile, pointless effort. But God has promised that we would have and we do have peace in His Son. Because He is our peace. He is our peace. Our money's not our peace. Our job, our career, our business, our relationships outside of Christ, that is not our peace. Only in Christ do we have peace. And Jesus said, my prayer is that they may be one just as we are one. That's unity. That's community. And God says there should be a unity within my people, in my people, that mirrors the unity in the community found in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A unity and a community that existed eternally before time began. God created man to demonstrate and to display that very sense and reality of community in his church, in his body. If we are his church, if we are his body, then our our life in Christ should mirror that kind of unity in community. Of all the people that are walking planet earth, it should be the people of God who are the least offended and the least offensive except in speaking the truth. Is it the case? Well, we have some work to do, don't we? See, here's where this whole subject of biblical community flies in the face of what we have created in the church. I'm going to give you a for instance. As many of you know, there was a famous revival taking place a year or two ago in Florida. And all the prophets and all the apostles said this was the move of God that's going to end all move of God. This is the beginning of the great move of God. Well, a lot of you guys know how the story ends. The fella was cheating on his wife and ended up leaving his wife and his kids and marrying somebody else. Well, needless to say, the revival stopped. But here's, see, here's what's happening. I'm, I'm all for restoration. 
the brother committed a sin. And you know what? He may be totally sincere in his repentance of what he did. I don't have a problem with that. But here's what I have a problem with. Now we have men of God, very famous, very well known, who are saying we've got to restore and raise this brother up because he's got a gift of healing that he needs to bring to the body of Christ. And God, the body, needs this gift. So the miracle, so the revival can keep going. Now see, here's where I find that there is something diametrically opposed, fundamentally opposed to the very nature of God. Because when I hear men of God say things like that, what I hear them saying is, the gift in the gifting is more important than the unity in the community. There was a community and a unity that was supposed to be a perfect picture of our relationship with Christ, the bride, and the bridegroom, the church, and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called marriage. And Paul says, I speak a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and His church. When I'm talking to you guys about a man and a woman, the two becoming one. No, I, I'm telling you what, the gift and the gifting is not more important than the unity in the community. This is our problem, church. We're so in love with having this flesh excited and stroked. We want to see fireworks and hear bells and whistles go off. And we want to walk out the doors and say, Whoo, we had church today. I'm telling you what, it was powerful. Well, all those people were talking about how powerful it was in the whole time. Do you see what the enemy was doing? Destroying the life of a wife. Destroying the life of children. And we, we chose a gifting over unity and community. And I could be wrong, but it seems that we're still choosing, choosing gifts over unity and community. And I'm telling you what, when is the church going to get it right? When is the church going to quit being so in love with herself, so in love with this flesh, so in love with this natural world and these natural sensations that we are willing to sacrifice anything for the sake of unity and community? Even if it means sacrificing our name even if it means that no one will ever know my name or no one will ever see my name again, am I willing to sacrifice that for the sake of unity and community? Or am I going to deceive myself into thinking that my gift is more important than the unity of the body and the welfare of the community? I'm going to tell you what, it is not. It is not. See, if my finger gets gangrene and becomes sick to the point that it can't function anymore. You know what a doctor's going to tell me to do? He's going to cut it off. Why? Because the, the whole is more important than the one. Now listen, God's not, I'm not saying God's not going to cut you off and cast you away. But here's what I am saying. We need to understand that the whole is more important than the one. See, I am one. And the day that I think I am more important than all of you guys, the day that I think my gift or my calling is more important than you, 
is the day that I have lost the fundamental truth of who God is and what it means to be part of the body of Christ and what this really is all about. Because then I'm going to go into self-preservation mode, self-promotion mode, because after all, I'm gifted. After all, I've, I've got power and, and, and God needs me to bring revival. No, listen, God don't need anybody. God chooses to use people. And if God is using you or me, it's only by his grace that he's doing it. And I better never, ever forget that. Because just as easy as God raised up that person, he can raise up another person. He, he'll prophesy through a donkey if he has to. It doesn't matter. And see, this is why this subject of biblical community is so unromantic to so many people in the body of Christ today because we're so in love with ourselves. And we think it's all about the big I, and it's not. And I'm telling you what, this is the shaking that's going on right now. And God is shaking us loose from our self-delusion and our self-grandizement and, and, and making ourselves feel and believe that we are so important. And I believe God is shaking that loose. And he's beginning to show us how desperately we need one another. How we need to be connected to one another. How we need to value one another. Not because our gift, but because we are all children of God. Because we are in community with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit. Because by His grace, He has brought me into that community. He has given me life in His Son. And in His Son, I have been brought into this unity, in this community called the body of Christ. And I am acceptable to the Father because I am in the Son. And that's it, period. Anything else I have is His grace and His grace alone. Just like that's His grace and His grace alone. We see in the testimony of the early church that community was a natural result of the Spirit's influence upon the church. Look at Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Do you notice what followed? You know, we all want the signs and the wonders. But what I see is that there was a sense of oneness and unity and dependency upon the head in the beginning. And those things flew, uh, they What's the word I'm looking for? They flowed. <laughs> they didn't flew. They flowed. They flowed as a natural result of that unity and that oneness. Fear. Fear came upon every soul. Why? I don't know why. Except that I believe there was something so special. There was something so powerful. And it was not... The gifting of some man walking around being able to perform miracles. What was so special and what was so powerful was the absolute oneness and unity of this body of people. And the, the people of Jerusalem, 
the unbelievers, they saw something in this community of believers that was so unlike anything they had seen before. There was a love that they had for one another that was so unlike anything that they had ever experienced or known before. I'm telling you what, people realize this is not natural. This isn't just a bunch of people with a, a, a new good idea. There is something special here. There is something supernatural that God is doing here. And fear came upon the people. And great signs and wonders followed. Why? Because there was a sense of awe that God was doing something. And where did that sense of awe begin? It began because they continued steadfastly together in the teaching of Scripture, in the breaking of bread, in fellowship with one another, in praying with one another. There was absolute unity in the community. Continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It wasn't what they were doing, it's what God was doing. Acts 4.32 Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul boy don't pass over that 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 is very easy to pass over right there i'm telling you what to be of one heart and of one soul neither did anyone say that any of his things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them you know what James says? James says, God resists the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. See, I believe it's impossible to be proud and humble at the same time. And I believe that humility is born out of sense of dependency. First, dependency upon God, and second, upon the whole see if we're part of the body I can never except in my pride think that I am somehow greater or of more value than another part of the body but in my humility if I understand who I am in my place in my function designated and ordained by God it, out of that humility guess what God has promised to give to me more grace, more grace, more grace. What is grace? It's the power and ability to do the will of God. That's what grace is. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Why does he give it to me? Because I deserve it? No. Because he chooses to. And he chooses to give grace to the humble. But guess who he does not choose to give grace to? The proud. He won't do it. Community is not a peripheral Christian teaching. It's not a side issue. But it is central to the outworking of God's purpose in the world. We are to reflect the image of God. And we cannot do that apart from unity and community. Our hope 
is not that we would simply hang out together, but look at this church, but rather that we would engage in a battle for deep and abiding relationships. Do you know that your relationships are under attack? Do you know why relationships are under attack? Do you know why marriages are under attack? Why friendships are under attack? Why any relationship that mirrors or images unity or what God has, it's under attack. Why? Because the enemy hates it. Why? Because it is painting and, and demonstrating a picture of who God is. And the enemy wants to destroy everything, everything that gives us an image of God. He wants to destroy it in your life, in the life of your friends, in the life of your family, in the life of, of the believers. He wants to destroy it. He does not want the church to show forth the wisdom of God. So we've, we're in a battle. And we have to engage in a battle for deep and abiding relationships. We need to battle against, number one, the enemy. There's three areas we're going to battle. We're going to battle against the enemy. Who wants to divide us? For in dividing us, he divides the body of Christ and diminishes the image of God we are to reveal to the world. See, if he can divide the body, he can diminish the image that, that, that we are to show forth to the world. So we battle against the enemy. Number two, we battle against the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's the lust of the flesh that causes us to embrace selfishness over selflessness. See, if you're in love with your flesh, you're going to be a selfish person. You're going to live a selfish life. You're going you're to look at everything from a selfish point of view. It's always going to be about what it does for me, how it makes me feel. Well, you know, I don't like that church anymore because I just don't feel good there. I just don't feel the presence. I just don't feel. Listen. Listen to your words. I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel. It doesn't make me. It's all about us. And see, if we give place to the lust of the flesh, it's going to cause us to embrace selfishness over selflessness. And one of the major causes of division in a family, why do most marriages fail? Selfishness. Why do most people come to a point of disagreement and, and, and they divide? There's usually some selfishness there somewhere. It's a major cause of division in the body is selfishness. So we need to battle against the lust of the flesh because the flesh is all, the flesh is all about itself. Number three, we must battle against a worldly mindset. That's why the scripture says renew your mind. It's a worldly mindset that causes us to have an improper view of God and an improper view of who we are in Christ. See, if we don't have the mind of Christ, we'll not understand the importance of body life and community. I'll either see myself lacking and fail to, to, to understand God's love and acceptance of me, or I'll see somebody else lacking and I will fail to value them and accept them for who they are. But one way or the other, it's a mindset that causes us to have those improper views of God or those improper views of us or other people. And so we've got to battle against these worldly mindsets. That's why Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
How? By the renewing of your mind. Amen? All right, we're going to stop right there and we're going to continue. We're going to talk about biblical community again next week. So worship team, come on up. Now, I know we don't have uh, any life groups meeting this week, but I did. I did some things, and I would just really encourage you to go over this and let God begin to speak to you about this very important truth. And if you're struggling to live in unity and community with your brothers or your sisters or your family or somebody, Let God speak to you.